You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. I you to turn to Revelation chapter 7. As you're doing that, if you'd like to access our sermon notes um, through our Google Drive folder, you can do that through our bulletin. There's a link that you can use your uh, smartphone or device to access our PowerPoint notes, and you can always access access those at a later time as well if you're listening to a previous uh, podcast. All right, uh, so the last couple of weeks we've been in Revelation chapter 7 talking about uh, first the sealing of the 144,000, and then we saw the glimpse in heaven of the multitude in paradise uh, who were worshiping God before his throne uh, under the uh, restoration of all creation, basically. Um, And so we kind of saw both aspects of God preserving his people here on earth. We saw that through the 144,000 that are being sealed, that God um, intentionally withholds judgment. We saw the angels at the four corners of the earth holding back judgment until every one of God's people is sealed and protected from that coming judgment, from his coming wrath. And then we saw last week the multitude that is in heaven, those coming out of the tribulation, those that have been killed for their faith, Um, worshiping God, and we saw a glimpse of it being a salvation that's extended to all people, um, that people from every background, every background, every tongue, every tribe, uh, worshiping before the throne. We see them worshiping there with um, all the same benefits. Um, We see them worshiping there for all eternity. Uh, We see a unity amongst God's people. Um, Though we may suffer here on this earth, that it results in salvation where we worship God before the throne forever. We also saw at the end of chapter 7 the restoration of creation, removing sinful effects from things that we experience here on this earth now. Um, We said the removal of these items means we should currently expect to experience these items, but should remain encouraged that they will soon come to an end. We saw the hungering and the thirsting um, that will be no more, which implies that it is currently now, and that Christians are not immune from that. Um, but that there's this hope extended to believers that in the end, all those things will be removed. And our application from last week, if we plan to worship Jesus on that final day, praising him for his salvation and his sealing protection, then it demands we worship him today through our daily obedience and faith, showing we believe his eternal reward is better than the fleeting pleasures of this world. If you've read ahead in Revelation chapter 8, you know that there's a pause as the seventh seal is open. There's silence in heaven for about half an hour is what the text tells us. And um, as I was preparing to study this week, um, I'm also teaching um, our staff, our staff at Trinity, I'm teaching through uh, this book called Stop Your Complaining by Ronnie Martin. And I want to reference it this morning because what I want to do today, and you guys know that I always teach um, as an outflowing of what I'm studying personally. And so all through the summer, I've been studying Revelation and this book um, side by side. And so I've been teaching my staff through this book. I've been teaching you guys through my studies in Revelation. And I felt like where we ended last week and where the book kind of ends, it kind of culminates together. And I see them kind of crossing over. And so I wanted to spend some time today much in the same way Revelation says there was silence and there was a pause as the seventh seal was being opened, for us to pause as well and talk about a practical application point in relationship to what we've been talking about with our future hope. How does our future hope, how does the book of Revelation relate to us today, specifically in the area of our contentment and the temptation to grumble and complain oftentimes 
about our circumstances. And so I would encourage you to get the book if you, if you would like to after today's sermon. I love books that are about this size and they're about seven, eight, nine dollars because it's easy to purchase them and it's easy to read them uh, in, a, in a short sitting um, and really gain some additional insight and information. So um, feel free to purchase this book if you'd like. Our staff, again, at Trinity is reading through it. Um, and so I want to kind of merge what I've been learning both in both aspects, Revelation and this book, together today and kind of see the practical application point of how we battle discontentment with our future hope. So let's read from Revelation chapter 7, specifically verse 15 through the end of the chapter. There's this glimpse in heaven, these people that have come out of the tribulation who are clothed in white and they're worshiping before the throne. And it says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. We talked last week that serving him day and night obviously ties into this idea that there is work to do even when Jesus comes back, that eternity is not an eternal laziness, that there's a proper reorientation to to how God designed work to be that we were created to serve him and to worship him, and we see that happening in eternity. God restores us to that proper state in Genesis. Um, And so there's work, Um, and it's obviously enjoyable and satisfying work because it says we want to do it day and night. We talked last week. There's not a lot of things that I want to do day and night. Um, There's a lot of things that I do that I enjoy, but at the end of the day, I want to stop doing them a lot of times. This is something that we get to eternally do and find eternal joy in doing it. It says, verse 16, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. We see this shelter, this presence of God protecting and removing um, the discomforts that we experience oftentimes here on this earth. The pressures to provide food and drink for our families is now removed. Those things are provided by Jesus It says in verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water, right? We get to work for the best boss ever, right? He's the great shepherd, the one who guides us to the springs of living water. He functions as our great leader and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Reasons that we would sorrow are completely removed when we enjoy this state of eternity. So our summary sentence for today We fight against the temptation to grumble and complain in the present by constantly reminding ourselves that all of the discontentments we experience on this earth will ultimately find their greatest fulfillment in the world to come. We fight against the temptation to grumble and complain in the present by constantly reminding ourselves that all of the discontentments we experience on this earth will ultimately find their greatest fulfillment in the world to come. For our kids, whatever we are tempted to complain about today will be fixed when Jesus returns. And I really want us to see that main point in everything that we discussed today, that whatever discontentments we experience here on this earth that would lead us to grumble and complain, from the petty stuff to the big stuff, the things that lead us to grumble and to complain and to express our discontentment, all of those things that we are finding a lack of fulfillment in, and most of them are rooted in right desires, maybe they're uh, being expressed wrongfully by us and how we're trying to fulfill those desires, but those desires are typically right and good. They just find a lack of fulfillment here on this earth. And what we find is that as we see into eternity here in Revelation 7, those greatest uh, desires that we have find their greatest fulfillment in eternity. And if we keep our view and perspective on that, 
that these fulfillments that we long for, that we sometimes uh, see a lack of fulfillment up here on this earth, they will find their fulfillment one day. It gives us victory over grumbling and complaining about them now. When we are tempted to complain, we can be reminded that when Jesus returns, he fixes all of it. So some introductory thoughts. Um, Let's talk a little bit about what is complaining. What is complaining? We talked a little bit this morning in our discussion groups about complaining, what we complain about a lot, oftentimes, what we hear other people complaining about, why it's sinful according to Scripture. Um, let's talk a little bit about what is complaining, actually. And for our kids, I'm going to go ahead and give you an answer for you to kind of remember. For our kids, it's being dissatisfied with what God is doing. Complaining is being dissatisfied with what God is doing. Now, this is obviously from a Christian perspective because We teach heavily here at this church that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God sits on the throne, that God is king. We've seen through Revelation that God is in control of everything on this earth, right? Even evil forces that that rear their head in the book of Revelation are given permission by God to do the things that they do. And they are held at bay when God wants them to hold, hold them at bay, and they are released when God desires to release them. So God's in control of everything. Every minute detail of our life, God is sovereign over. So therefore, the the conclusion would be to complain about any detail of our life is to ultimately be dissatisfied with what God is doing. If God's in control of it, if God is overseeing it, to grumble and complain about it is to admit that we're dissatisfied with what God is choosing to do in that detail of our life, okay? What is complaining? I wanna give you a couple of points for our adults to remember. First of all, I think it's forgetfulness. I think what we see from Scripture, and we're going to kind of unpack this today, forgetfulness. It's forgetting that God is good and passionate about his glory and therefore committed to working everything for his glory and the good of his people. Let me say that again. It's forgetfulness. It's forgetting that God is good and passionate about his glory and therefore committed to working everything for his glory and the good of his people. That's what, we, that's what we typically define sovereignty as here in this church, that it's God being in control of everything, but we don't leave it as that. Sovereignty should conjure up ideas of authority and control. We talk about kings and their sovereign control over their lands, but God defines his sovereignty for us in scripture, right? In Romans eight twenty eight, God defines his authority and his sovereignty and how he chooses to control things. He controls everything so that he receives the maximum amount of glory by bringing the maximum amount of good to his children. That's the promise that's given to us in scripture. God works for his glory and for the good of his children and they work together. He receives glory by working good for his children. That's the promise given to us, that everything works his glory, and for our good. And we certainly see this in Revelation chapter seven, right? We see the good of God's people. We see his goodness extending to all people from all tribes and nations. And we see his control of bringing people to him, gathering them before his throne, being a good thing for these people, right? It's a good thing. Hunger's not there. Thirst is not there. Sorrow is not not there. The, The harmful elements of creation are not there. They've been removed. They've been dealt with. They've been taken care of. God is receiving glory in Revelation chapter seven and God's people are receiving the ultimate good in Revelation chapter seven. That's how God controls things. That's how God works things. So to complain, to to question the sovereignty of God about our specific life is to forget that he's good and passionate about his glory. It's also to express discontentment. Complaining Complaining is an expression of discontentment. 
It's our hearts expressing dissatisfaction or annoyance about circumstances with our mouths that is rooted in the false belief that either God got it wrong or was incapable of getting it right. We're expressing discontentment. So we're either saying, yes, I believe God is in control. Yes, I believe God works everything. I just don't like how he's doing it. Or we're admitting God just wasn't capable of getting it right. He didn't have the power to do it. So I'm not mad at God. I just recognize God's flawed and he can't do things the way that they need to be done. That's what we're doing. When we express complaining and grumbling, we're expressing discontentment. And we're either expressing that God is doing things and has the power to do things, we just don't like how he's doing them, or we're expressing discontentment over the fact that God's just not capable of working things out the right way. It's an expression of discontentment. It's an idea of entitlement. It's belief that we deserve something better than what we have been given. Think about it. When we grumble and complain, it's rooted in the idea that I deserve something different than this. I'm going to grumble and complain because I deserve something different than this. It's an, it's an, it's an idea of entitlement. We were, I was talking with our staff through email um, when, when the author was talking about this in the book. Um, the idea that a lot of kids in our culture um, grow up feeling entitled, feeling like they are deserved things, deserved things, owed things. A lot of that is in how we're, we're choosing to raise our kids. Um, our kids are given uh, far more than a lot of kids have ever been given in history. Um, so sometimes it breeds a, a level of entitlement that we have to fight against as Christian parents as we raise our kids. I think what's really detrimental, and I think we see this at times at our Christian school, is that a lot of kids feel entitled to the gospel. That when we try to share about Jesus dying on the cross, a lot of times, and maybe even within our own hearts, it's, well, of course Jesus had to do that. Like, like we deserve to be died for. We deserve to be saved. This, is, this idea of entitlement that we're owed something. And certainly grumbling and complaining implies, I deserve something better than this. What I've been dealt, I'm going to, I'm going to dispute, basically. Because something's gone awry here. Somebody didn't have all the correct information for me to be dealt this. And so I will grumble and complain about it because I'm dissatisfied with it. It's also ungratefulness towards God. It's ungratefulness towards God. Exodus chapter 16, verse 8. And we're going to reference the children of Israel um, several times today. And let's think in terms of not referencing the children of Israel as though we have no connection with them. Because what we're seeing here in Revelation is that as the church being grafted into the nation of Israel, the spiritual descendants of Israel, we have very much connection with Old Testament Israel. In Exodus chapter 16, Verse 8, it says, And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Here Moses is reminding the children of Israel that as they grumble, as they express ungratefulness, it's towards God ultimately. It's a failure to be thankful for what they have. It's also a consolation attempt at sympathy. When we grumble and complain, especially when we verbalize that to other people, what we're ultimately saying is, if I can't experience satisfaction, I'll seek to solicit the sympathy of others as a consolation prize. If I can't experience satisfaction, let me see if I can get the sympathy of others, because that'll at least satisfy me a little bit if other people think that I've been mistreated as well. We want other people to agree with how bad we have it. And here's, here's where we have to really connect the dots. We are wanting ultimately, as Christians, 
And again, we're, we're talking about grumbling and complaining from a Christian perspective. We are ultimately wanting other people to agree with us that God has not been good to us. Think about how sinful that is. Think about how idolatrous that is to say that, that the God that we claim to worship is no longer good, that he is not satisfying us, that we're, we're discontent with what he's dealt us, and we want to bring other people in on that. We want to bring other people, we want to get sympathy from others to believe that we have been treated unfairly. And as, we, as I was saying earlier, the, the, the thing that we've got to really realize is that we grumble and complain because we've been unfulfilled with something. And seeing this picture in Revelation reminds us that we may be unfulfilled in some of these capacities now, but not forever, right? We grumble and complain because we feel like, oh, I haven't experienced fulfillment. And God's saying, I'm not done yet. Like, I'm not done yet. Like, no, you haven't experienced fulfillment yet. No, you haven't experienced complete contentment yet with what I'm going to give you because the story's not over yet. But by God's grace and his goodness, he's given us the end of the story. He gives us the acknowledgement that all of our desires are fulfilled. That there is a day coming where everything that we long for is given to us in the right context, in the right measure to his glory. To his glory. He fulfills our longings and desires and gives us a glimpse of when that will happen. Complaining is dangerous. I want to talk three points here this morning to help us see this. And then we'll come back to the idea of our future hope saving us from this. First of all, complaining weakens our witness. Complaining weakens our witness. For our kids, it's hard to tell people about Jesus when we are complaining. Complaining weakens our witness. Philippians chapter two, a passage that I wanted you to read this morning and reflect upon because this is where we are reminded that we have a responsibility to not grumble and complain. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in that day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He's probably drawing upon the language in uh, Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, talks about, uh, end time stuff where people are being raised to life and, and, and some being raised to eternal death. And, and it talks about those who rescue people shining as lights in the star, or shining as lights like the stars in the sky. And so Paul connects the fact that we have a responsibility as Christians to shine as lights in the midst of darkness, to shine as lights in the midst of a lost world. And he connects that to our gratefulness. He connects that to whether we're grumbling or complaining. That if I'm supposed to shine as a light and draw people to God, why would anybody come to a God who is unfulfilling? If I'm complaining and grumbling and disputing the God who's supposed to be in control of everything, it's hard for me to serve as a great witness in drawing people to come worship this God that leaves me with reason to complain. It weakens our witness, according to Paul. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Don't complain about things because you have a responsibility to be a witness to shine brightly. We create doubt about God's goodness when we complain. We create doubt about God's goodness when we complain. But secondly, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, as Paul begins to describe the, the lost and dying world and why they're responsible for the wrath that they endure, 
He reminds us of the responsibility that all mankind has before uh, creative revelation where God has revealed himself in creation. He's made his invisible attributes known, his eternal power, his divine nature. All creation, it was without excuse. And then in verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So not only do we create doubt about God's goodness, when we grumble and complain, we are more accurately reflecting the character of the lost when we complain. We more accurately reflect the character of the lost when we complain because Paul describes the lost man as an individual who has moved away from being grateful and thankful to God, who has failed now to give thanksgiving to God for all that God has given and has instead moved away and sought to find satisfaction in other things. So when we grumble and complain and express discontentment, we are ultimately acting like lost people. That's a a character trait of the lost, according to Paul here in Romans chapter 1. And again, we're seeing in Revelation 7 this ultimate picture of fulfillment, right? Everybody gets included in it from all tribes, nations, and tongues. Everybody meaning all those who come to faith in Christ, but it's not excluding anybody from any race. Everybody's coming together. Everybody's finding this great fulfillment as they they follow the great shepherd to the springs of living water. No hunger, no thirst, no scorching heat. It's all removed. It's all taken care of. To fail to give thanks And submission to that type of shepherd, to that type of king, is to act more like the lost. We begin to act out our sinful Adamic nature, that nature that comes from Adam in the Garden of Eden, which fell prey to the idea that God is not good. The first sinful temptation that Satan brings to Adam and Eve is to grumble against God, right? That's that's the first temptation. Satan comes and presents his argument that God got it wrong. God, God doesn't, doesn't want good things for you, right? He's given this tree and then he doesn't want you to eat it. Remember when we talked in Genesis? The tree, oftentimes when we describe it to our kids, oh, it looked good, probably tasted good. And we, we draw this picture as though this tree was just almost irresistible. And back up a little bit in Genesis, all the trees are described that way, right? Like I missed that growing up as a kid. It was always highlighted to me that this tree looked delectable and, and just wonderful, like, how could you resist it almost? But you back up in Genesis, and, the, and Moses describes all the trees in the garden that way. Satan says, God's not good. God got it wrong. God doesn't want good things for you. Grumble against him by acting out against him was the temptation, and Adam and Eve both fell prey to it. When we weaken ourselves to that temptation and give in to the, the complaining and the grumbling, we are acting out of that nature. Number two, not only does it weaken our witness, complaining works against grace. Complaining works against grace. It goes back to that idea of entitlement, believing that we are owed things or deserve things. And it's only by God's grace that we receive anything good. For our kids, it's hard to be thankful when we are complaining. It's hard to be thankful when we are complaining. We can't tell people about Jesus. Nobody wants to come to Jesus if we're complaining about him. And it's certainly hard to be thankful in the ways that the Bible calls us to be thankful when we're complaining. Number one, we forget to be thankful for the many blessings given to us. James chapter one reminds us that every good thing that we have comes from above. 
Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. All good things come from him. We have much to be thankful for at all times, even if we are experiencing some type of undesirable circumstance that would tempt us to grumble and complain. All good gifts come from him. Number two, we fail to increase thanksgiving in the lives of others when we're complaining, though. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, we think in terms of the gospel, and there were some great breakout sessions this week on um, sharing the gospel. So Rob led one. Um, Rob's been here at our church. Um, Spencer led one, who's also been here at our church, exter- former external el- elders of our church. Uh, Rob led one on sharing the gospel and missions, talking about the unreached people groups and our responsibility to go, and if we don't go, our responsibility to enable others to go. Um, and then Spencer talked on, uh, specifically about why we don't share the gospel. Why, why do we fail to share the gospel with others? When we think about sharing the gospel, though, typically we think of the end goal being to rescue people from God's wrath right? Like we share the gospel. We tell people about Jesus so that people can escape God's wrath, which is absolutely true. But 2 Corinthians 4 reminds us that, hey, we want to go a little bit further than just simply rescuing people out of the clutches of hell, that there's an even greater purpose in our evangelism. Um, It says, let's start reading verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul says, we do everything that we do as church planting missionaries for you, but not just to rescue out of hell, not just to get you out of God's wrath, We do it so that as grace extends to more and more people, the end result is that there is more thanksgiving to the glory of God. We're not just interested in getting people out of hell. We're interested in seeing people come to the realization that according to Romans 1, we left God and quit giving thanksgiving to him to go after other things. And so salvation is about rescuing us back to a state of glorying in God and giving him thanksgiving for all that he's given to us. He doesn't owe us. We're not entitled to it. Any good gift that we receive comes from him above, and it's by grace. And the goal of the gospel is to extend grace to more and more people so that more and more people are brought back to a state of giving thanksgiving to God. And when we complain, we work against it. We work against it, right? A lot of us are guilty of not sharing the gospel. And so in a a passive way, we're working against Revelation 7 where people from all tribe, nation, and tongue are worshiping. Passively, we sit back on the sidelines and we don't share. But what we often don't realize is that we are actually actively working against it by complaining. We're not not drawing people to be more thankful to God when we complain and grumble. We're actually doing the opposite. We're, we're, We're giving people reason to question whether the God that we serve is good. Depending how much grumbling and complaining is really a part of our life, determines how much we're really working against the grace of the gospel. Complaining works against grace. But number three, complaining elevates the importance of personal comfort. Complaining elevates the importance 
of personal comfort. Think about the things that we typically complain about. It's typically an infringement on what we consider comfortable. We grumble and complain because we want something different that would typically lead to a greater sense of personal comfort. And I don't know if you've picked up on this or not yet in the book of Revelation. It is not promised to us on this earth that we as Christians will enjoy personal comfort. It's just not. It's just not. I mean, if the worst thing that we are tempted to grumble and complain about is a, is a difficult boss or unruly kids, man, we have it far better than what's really promised in the book of Revelation living in a government that wants nothing more than to shed our blood for the faith that we express in Christ, to throw us into prison, to put us on trial for our faith, to apply pressures to us because we confess Jesus. It's not promised that we're going to be comfortable. And so when we grumble and complain, typically we're grumbling and complaining because we're not comfortable about something. Right? Something has infringed, has infringed upon what we, what we desire. We grumble and complain about it. Book of Revelation says, you're going to have a lot of things that you should be tempted to grumble and complain about because I'm not promising you any personal comfort. Jesus never says to the churches when he writes those seven letters, if you'll, if you'll express faith in me, I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff right now, right? Everything was held out to them, dangled in front of them as something that would come in the future, right? Like you're going to receive a crown. You're going to receive white robes. You're going to receive a new name. Not today, not now, but on that day, when Jesus comes back, that day when, when you experience death for your faith and you're with him for all eternity, that's when you receive all these things. That's when you receive ultimate fulfillment. Complaining elevates the importance of personal comfort now. And for our kids, man, if you don't get anything else today, it's not God's job to make us comfortable now. That's not his job, and he's never promised to do so. He's come to offer the abundant life but what goes along with the abundant life is what he does through us in this life and then what comes in the life to come. He's promised great things to us. He's promised a day where we never hunger and we never thirst and we're never touched by the scorching heat, where we never experience sorrow anymore. Not today, a future day. Complaining elevates the importance of personal comfort. Number one, our joy and contentment should be tied to the world to come and not this one. And how's that helpful? Well, it's helpful. It's, it's, it's helpful for me if I'm trying to fight against grumbling and complaining. If I go ahead and, and preach to myself, don't expect to be fulfilled here. Like, don't expect it. See, Adam believes that he's supposed to experience every personal comfort possible and that he's supposed to be fulfilled. Sinful Adam expects that. And so when sin, sinful Adam doesn't receive that, he grumbles and complains. And sinful Adam needs to hear the sermon every single day. It's not today that you're meant to be fulfilled. It's not today where you're meant to enjoy all these things. You get those things at a later date. You get those things at a later date. So don't grumble and complain now. Grumble and complaining now expresses that, that you believe that it's all said and done, that this is what I've been dealt. And that's not what you've been dealt. Focusing on the world to come is where our joy and contentment should be tied. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, will also, then you also will appear with him in glory. A day's coming, it's just not here yet. We're to keep our minds focused on the world to come. 
A mind set on heaven has no reason to complain about earth. I should expect to be dissatisfied with things here. I should expect for things not to go exactly how they're supposed to here. That day's coming when God fixes everything. Number two, our joy can grow in the midst of hard times now. Again, we said a couple weeks ago, Revelation is not meant to give us this picture that we limp to the finish line. Like we're just waiting to get to that day when everything's better and just trying not to complain about it now as though there's no joy to be experienced for the Christian here. And that's not the case. That's not the case. It's not that we're to go through this life sad and depressed about never being fulfilled or never receiving anything good here. In fact, Romans chapter 5 Uh, verse 1 talks about our joy growing in the midst of hard times. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's not limping to the finish line there. That's embracing the hope that's been given to us and rejoicing in our present sufferings, knowing that that suffering gets us to the end. And that God gives us all kinds of opportunities to use that suffering for his good. That's not limping. That's the picture of victory right there. That's the picture of a glorious victory of someone who believes they are getting a crown at the end. Who believes they are getting a white robe at the end. Someone who wants to fight for that glorious day of hope. Our joy can grow in the midst of hard times. When our level of comfort is challenged, we must not act like Israel. And you read the Old Testament, you see time and time again when Israel's comfort level is attacked, when it's shaken, when they get into an area of the wilderness where the food's not as plentiful or the water's not as plentiful, immediately there's grumbling and complaining. As soon as they leave Egypt, a place that they couldn't wait to get out of, they've got the Red Sea in front of them, and immediately it's, why did we leave? Why did we leave to come out here and die? Take us back, take us back. Over and over again, Israel's telling their leaders, take take us back to Egypt. It was great in Egypt. It was great in Egypt. When our level of comfort is challenged, we must not act in that way where we grumble and complain. I'm gonna give you some concluding thoughts. Is it ever okay to express discontentment? We've talked a lot today about not complaining, trusting in God's sovereignty, looking towards greater fulfillment in the days to come versus the here and now? Is it ever okay to express discontentment? The book that, that I've been reading talks about a, a, a term that he, he uses called holy complaining. And so I'm going to use that term in case you end up picking up the book so you can kind of follow along with some of the things that God's been teaching me through it. Um, first of all, holy complaining is pleading with God for help during undesirable times while praising his good power. Holy complaining is pleading with God for help during undesirable times while praising his good power. I think I overheard Tyson maybe talking a little bit in his group about, and maybe from fruit of reading through this book, the book of Psalms is full of of Christians crying out to God in the midst of discontentment, in the midst of undesirable circumstances, crying out to God. And it seems to be well-received by God when the right attitude is expressed. And I want to share with you one psalm 
where I think that to be the case. Psalm chapter 13, verse 1. This is David crying out. And you know that a lot of the Psalms are written by David. A lot of them are written during times of, of frustration and difficulty with his enemies. This one's no different. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I mean, there's certainly some discontentment being expressed here. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not in my heart great with how things are playing out right now. This seems to be taking longer than it should. My enemies seem to be glorying over me longer than, than they ought to be. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Again, he's crying out for help. He's pleading. He's not okay with the current situation. But even in the midst of that, he's asking for God to open his eyes. To light him up. But verse 5 and 6 is where the, the proper attitude is being expressed. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I mean, it's hard. You can't really label David as having a bad perspective here, right? Like there are things and there is injustice that seems to be happening. I mean, it's, it's right. When we see injustice, when we sin, see sin happening around us and it possibly being tolerated in environments around us, we shouldn't be okay with that. There ought to be a, a level of, of discontentment with that situation. That that's not how things should be. But what I love here is that David's not sitting around a coffee table talking to his buddies about it, right? Like he's not complaining and grumbling about the state of his life with people that can't fix anything for him. He is crying out to God, but he's doing so not as though he deserves anything or is entitled to anything because he is very quick to remember what God has already been doing in his life. He is very quick to draw upon the history of bounty that God has bestowed upon him. I've trusted in your steadfast love. I'm not doubting your love here. I'm not doubting your salvation here. I'm singing to the Lord, David says. You've dealt bountifully with me. A holy complaining, I think, is appropriate here. It's the, the same type of attitude we saw in Revelation chapter 5. With those souls that were under the altar, remember they're crying out because their, their blood has not been avenged. We'll go back to Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scrolls and to open its seals, for you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. There's this crying out, this confession of how, of how God has come. Jesus has come to rule and to reign. He's worthy. He's worthy. But then there's this frustration in chapter 6. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you'll judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're crying out, when are you going to act? But they cry out to the sovereign Lord who is holy and true. They remember his character. They're relying upon what they know about God. They haven't forgotten who he is. They're not complaining with a mindset of forgetfulness. They're pleading with a God that they know can act. It's pleading with God for help during undesirable times while praising his good power. I think a great example that we can highlight the children of Israel for is found in chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 2. A lot of times Israel is ridiculed hard in Scripture for their grumbling and complaining, but not in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. 
this is after um, the Pharaoh has died and um, the, the Pharaoh that knew Joseph. Remember, we ended Genesis talking about Joseph and the good relationship Israel had with Egypt. All that's over with. New Pharaohs don't like Israel. They've put them in bondage. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. That's comforting to read that that the Israelites could cry out to God. They could plead for help, plead for rescue. We're not okay with our circumstances. God hears them and expresses concern for them. He says he knew their plot. He knew their issues. And we see Exodus chapter 3, God begins to act. Right? He comes to the burning bush. He raises up Moses and begins to rescue them, leading them prior to our salvation at the cross, the greatest rescue of all time, the greatest redemptive story of all time, God rescuing the people of Israel from Egypt. And God begins to act in chapter 3 in response to their pleading and praising God. Holy complaining, the last one here, is inviting others to join you in praying rather than join you in complaining. Holy complaining is inviting others to join you in praying rather than join you in complaining. Remember we said in Revelation chapter 7, hunger and thirst will be no more, which implies that they are now. Now we talked about a couple weeks ago, we're not hungering and thirsting probably, right? If, If we've ever heard of anybody in that situation in our church, we have acted as a church and met needs. There's a lot of us that have felt the pressures of wondering, is hungering and thirsting about to come upon us based on job situations. A lot of us understand and know those pressures. We're told that that day is coming where we will never have to worry about that again. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we certainly can be prayerful about those things that we're tempted to complain about, that we're, contempt, that we're tempted to worry about. And we can invite others to join in us with that, right? Because Galatians talks about bearing each other's burdens. So, We don't leave here thinking, okay, there's going to be things that I'm tempted to complain about. I need to remember that God's sovereign, that God's in control, that God is good. I have much to be thankful for. I can fight my my tendencies to complain by being grateful and thankful to God for what he has done for me. I can even look to the future to know that God is going to bring great things to me in in the distance. And we can make the mistake of thinking, well, then I never should ever share any of those concerns with other people. I don't think that's the case. I think the the intent is what is key. Am I inviting people into my, my, my frustrations in order to gain their sympathy, right? Oftentimes I complain about things with people and I never pray about them. I'm not that concerned that I need to spend time praying about them, but I am concerned about the fact that I don't feel very fulfilled and I'd like to get some sympathy about it. So I will bring people into that conversation and I will grumble and complain about things that I do not like about in my life and never bring those to God but bring them to all of my close friends in hopes that they will sympathize with me, feel sorry for me, and encourage me and let me know how wrong I've been done. That's not holy complaining. Holy complaining is inciting the help of close brothers and sisters, especially if you have that within accountability groups here in our church, inviting those people into situations where you are tempted to grumble and complain, asking for prayer that you would not do those things, and asking for joint prayer to plead to the God who is good and powerful to fix things that need to be fixed or to open your eyes to contentment where things are not going to be fixed right now. 
Holy complaining is inviting others to join you in praying rather than join you in complaining. Israel grumbles against themselves or grumbled amongst themselves when they assessed their personal comforts were not met. Exodus 14, 11, and 12, uh, Numbers as well. There's several different instances where, where Israel begins to grumble and complain and they bring their complaints to Moses. They're dissatisfied with their circumstances. And God says, I've heard their cries, but they've not come to me personally. They've been coming to, to others around them. And he's, and, he's, and he's frustrated with them because they're not bringing their complaints to him. They're, they're talking about it amongst themselves. And it's in the context of the fact that God heard their cries. He gave them a leader. He judged Egypt and kept them safe. He gifted them with Egyptian treasures when he rescues them. And Israel found reason to grumble and complain about their circumstances. God says, I've heard, right? God hears them both times. There's the time when they're crying out to God for help before they're delivered from Egypt. God says, I heard them, I know them. Then later you fast forward and God comes to Moses and said, I've heard their complaints because they've been giving them to you and to each other, but not to me. So what I was kind of left with in my notes, I put implication-wise, God hears our complaints whether they're directed to him or not. God hears them. So I don't have to bring them to him in prayer. I don't, I don't get to, God, don't listen to right now. I need to complain about some stuff over here. God still hears my complaints. So if God's gonna hear them either way, why not direct them to him It gives us great reason to express our discontentments to the one who is capable of changing them rather than complaining to others who cannot. Psalm chapter 55, verse 17. We're almost done, and then we'll spend some time eating and fellowshipping together. Psalm chapter 55, verse 17 says, Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Again, a a psalm of David. We can bring those things to God and he hears them and he responds to them. Some application points for us. Again, connecting this with Revelation chapter seven. Great things are in store for us. Difficulty will encompass that leading up to it. Gratitude is our sanctification against grumbling. We shift our focus to grumbling and complaining to gratitude. We replace it. It's our, it's our step of sanctification, the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Revelation, as we've been studying, seems to be prepping us for a wilderness-type experience, just like Israel had. It's prepping us for that. There, there's great persecution that's going to come upon the church. Whether we experience or whether our kids experience it, great persecution will continue to come upon the church until Jesus comes back. It's prepping us for that wilderness-type experience, and it ends with the promised land, Right? The children of Israel are complaining about hungering and thirsting on the way to the promised land. And this great promise is given to them that when we get to the promised land, it's going to be awesome, right? You're going to have food and drinks galore. And they're grumbling and complaining as though the wilderness is what God meant to fulfill them with. God's like, man, we're on a journey here. This isn't the end of the story. We're on a journey. Put ourselves in, that, in those shoes because Revelation is describing a wilderness type of experience where a lot of great things are going to happen but they're meant to culminate in the promised land. And that's where we're headed, the book of Revelation reminds us. A couple of quick points for us to take that will help us in our fight against grumbling and complaining. First of all, pray for greater conviction about complaining. Some of you may be sitting here saying, eh, this is not me. It probably is you, right? Like we all are prone to grumble and complain because we are all sinful and we all have to fight to get back to a state of thanksgiving because in our sin, we were born into a state of not giving thanks to God. So, 
Life is a constant sanctification process of getting us back to giving proper thanksgiving to God. And just as a little side note, if you pick up this book and if you start to really try to apply some of this stuff, your flesh will rear its head in a different way. Right now, it's rearing its head by you grumbling and complaining about everything in your life. When you start to focus on it yourself, your flesh will rear its head and start to teach self-righteousness to you because you will see everybody else that grumbles and complains and you'll feel like you are far better than them and you will be frustrated with them for why they are not grumbling and complaining like you have stopped grumbling and complaining. So just a little precursor there. Don't think that you have to stop praying for greater conviction about this area because it will come in different forms as you seek to address it. Number two, feed your heart with reminders and promises of God's goodness now and forever. God's been good to you now, and God will forever be good to you. We need to be constantly reminded of that if we're to fight against grumbling and complaining. Psalm 9 1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus talking to Pharisees, he says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? From out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's hard to grumble and complain if we're filling our hearts with Scripture. When we're, when we're constantly focusing on thanksgiving to God in private, when we're around other people, it's hard to grumble and complain if we've been filling our heart with thanksgiving. Colossians chapter 3 um, is a reminder of how we're supposed to interact with those around us, and it's tied to thanksgiving. In verse 15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Thanksgiving is supposed to be the defining topic of our conversation with each other. Not grumbling and complaining, but man, the, the beginning of the book starts out and it talks about you thinking about how often you start a conversation with somebody and how quickly it takes for somebody to start grumbling and complaining about something. And it doesn't take long, typically. Here we're told that our defining topic of conversation should be thanksgiving. And for most of us, it's probably grumbling and complaining. Feed your heart with reminders and promises of God so that's what comes out in our conversation. Number three, seek ways to express gratitude for God's goodness. Seek ways to express gratitude for God's goodness. And I want us to be more intentional in our prayer time on Sunday mornings to incite opportunities for praise as well. Not that we're grumbling and complaining by bringing prayer requests to God because that's exactly what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to, to plead for him and praise him. But I don't want us to be guilty of simply pleading to him and failing to praise him. And I love it when we have people that share current praises, things that have happened. And I would love to see us take advantage of this individually. Everybody apply this and you look for ways when we do prayer requests each week, each week to also express gratitude for God's goodness. Number four, avoid temptation to grumble and complain. There's probably situations, people, places that you know you're more prone to grumble and complain in than others. There may be people in your life that you need to distance yourself from because you just simply grumble and complain when you're around that person. I challenge my staff that if you fall and pray to habits with each other where you know it's easy to grumble and complain with each other, the two of y'all need to have a conversation that that's not going to be the case this year that we're going to change that from the very beginning, new habits in our conversation. There may need to be new habits with social media posts for some of us because that is certainly where people like to grumble 
and complain and really reveal what is in their hearts. Ben and I are a part of a group here in Sonoy. All it is is grumbling and complaining about anything and everything that you can grumble and complain about. And it's amazing how people are okay with people in a small town knowing how dissatisfied they are with things. Social media is a breeding ground for it. You may need to step back and avoid some of that to avoid grumbling and complaining in your own life. Number five, seek to fix the things that cause you to complain if you can. One of the things that we want to teach our students this year, because we're going to teach this to our students as we learn it as staff, and an aspect we didn't talk about in regards to holy complaining is that there are some things that we complain about that we could fix ourselves versus simply complaining about them. Things that are right to be dissatisfied with that we could fix ourselves if we would step up to the plate and do it. Let's just think in terms of this church. There may be things about our church that we want to grumble and complain about with each other that we could fix by being a solution to the problem. Right? We talk a lot about whether or not we're great at loving each other, serving each other, showing hospitality to each other, really caring for each other. We could easily grumble and complain amongst ourselves about it or be the most hospitable, loving, um, other-seeking person that this church has ever known to fight against any tendencies that we have to not love and serve each other. Seek to fix things that you find yourself to be prone to grumble and complain about if they're fixable, if you can be a solution and a part of the change. And then number six, pursue help when tempted to complain. Pursue help through prayer to God and through accountability with others, which is what we hit on there at the very end. I kind of shared with with our staff um, kind of an application point for me. If it's not worth praying about, then it's probably not worth complaining about. If I don't have time to pray about it, and like I told you, most of my complaints, I do not have time to pray about them. They're not that big and they're not that important. But I like to get other people's sympathy I just don't really feel the need to go to the throne room for it. If it's not worth going to the throne room for, it's probably not worth complaining about. I can fight against grumbling against grumbling, and complaining by praying over the things that are that important to grumble and complain about. Our family worship questions for this week. What am I personally tempted to complain about most right now and how can I pray against it? A lot of our kids need to be discipled in this area, I'm sure. This is a great way to to draw this out of them. Number two, what has God done lately that I can praise him for? What has God done lately that I can praise him for? Again, I wanted to kind of pause today, just like uh, Revelation 8 talks about a silence in heaven, a a quietness for about a half an hour. We went for a little longer than half an hour. Um, But I want us to kind of pause and think about that great picture we see at the end of Revelation 7. Man, all this stuff being dealt with, all this stuff being changed and transformed. Let's look forward to that day. Let's don't grumble and complain leading up to that day. Let's fight against grumbling and complaining, knowing that that day is coming and that we will find that ultimate satisfaction, even if we don't experience it here on this earth. We can expect not to because Revelation tells us we won't. We can hope in the day that we will. Let's pray together. God, we come to you this morning and we confess that we are certainly prone to fail in our responsibility to give thanksgiving to you. God, I'm thankful for the reminder this morning that the gospel's intent isn't just to rescue people from hell, it's to rescue people from a life of ungratefulness. That you sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we would properly see how good you are and how responsible to you we are for everything that's good in our life. God, I pray that we wouldn't work against the grace that you 
desire to extend to person after person after person. Help us to see that picture in Revelation 7 where people are standing before the throne, not grumbling and complaining. They are standing before the throne, giving you all the glory and honor that you deserve, praising you for who you are and for the things that you've done. God, I pray that we'd be faithful to be those type of people today. You've done plenty enough already for us to have an extended worship service. We, know, we, know, we may not be able to do it day and night, but God, we have plenty of reason to give you honor and glory and thanksgiving for all that you've done to us. God, help us to fight against any sinful tendencies to grumble and complain. Protect us from drawing other people into that sinful mindset where we would seek to gain the sympathy of others. Help us to realize that we're ultimately causing other people to doubt your goodness when we grumble and complain because we're expressing a dissatisfaction with what you're doing. Help us to plead for you in times where we're tempted. Help us to be grateful for all that you're doing. Help us to keep our hearts and minds focused on the things that are coming in the future and not be dissatisfied with the here and now. Remind us that we're on a journey through the wilderness. That journey ends with the promised land. Pray that you'd increase our hope and desire for those days. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.